Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the film director and writer John Patton Ford. He's known for the amazing film which I saw only a few weeks ago called Emily the Criminal. It stars a former guest of the Mark and Me podcast, the gorgeous Aubrey Plaza, and the film is absolutely fantastic. You know sometimes you just sit there and you just want to watch a real tight thriller, a film that gives you that genuine suspense, the kind of thing that would be rented from a video store back in the 90s. I'm talking stuff like Basic Instinct, Dead Calm, Silence of the Lambs, Cape Fear, you know the sort of thing I'm talking about? Well, sadly, it's really hard now, I think, to find a film that does that for you. And you need to basically rewatch all those films that you already know. Or you have that risk of watching a film with shoddy performances, a terrible script and bad CGI. Honestly, Emily the Criminal is a huge breath of fresh air. For me, it's been a long time since I saw a genuinely fantastic thriller that caught me completely off guard. And there was times that I was sat there wanting to pause because it was so intense. The performances throughout the film are absolutely fantastic and I can't pick up the direction anymore. The writing is top notch, it's a brilliant paced film, excellent characters, a superb soundtrack, amazing arcs and honestly I urge you all to go and check it out and I can't wait to share the interview with you in just a couple of moments time with John Patton Ford. But I can't not mention episode 250. I was joined by Ben Gillies, the silver chair drummer and a guest that I've wanted on this podcast for a long, long time. My God, this episode blew up. I got to number six in the podcast chart on Apple Music in Australia. That for me is a really big achievement and I'm so thrilled and I just want to say a massive thank you to Ben, to all the people that love Silverchair and all the fans of Mark and me and everybody that's taken the time to listen. It means so much to me and there couldn't be a better guest that I could have asked for to celebrate that milestone. But today, as I've mentioned, I absolutely love this film, Emily the Criminal. So to get to sit down with the director and the writer is a dream for me. So here's me and John Patton Ford talking all things film. So John, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. John, what I like to do for anyone that might be tuning in today and then discovering your work for the first time is take it right back to the very start. So talk to me about maybe as your childhood, what was those first films you saw or fell in love with that made you want to become a filmmaker? That's a great question. First movie I ever saw that I remember was uh, uh, Cinderella, Disney Cinderella. Nice. I went to sit in the, the movie theater with my family. And uh, this goes to show how bright I was as a child. I thought that was like a new movie. I thought it was like new release. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is sick. There's like a talking mouse. This is great. And only later as an adult that I realized that movie came out in like 1949 or something. And I just caught like a re-release or whatever. Uh, and then um, when I was also a little kid, I went and saw Terminator 2 in the movie theater and i was way too young i think i might have been seven or eight Did you like sneak in on a like saturday afternoon or was it your parents were like my oh you'll be fine i went with my family it's incredible it's like Fucking a different hell. like i this was like no one cared i don't know like i was raised by baby boomers you know they had their own stuff going on they weren't paying attention and uh went to terminator 2 blown away i think the i mean i could talk about that forever but i think the big things were like um it didn't pander it didn't yeah. condescend 
it just kind of feels like it's telling you the truth about something. And also there's sort of a Shakespearean backbone to that movie in that it's about a young boy who doesn't have a father and then who finds a father and then has to kill the father to save the mother. I mean, come on. Incredible. It doesn't get much better as far as sequels go. I think Terminator 2 is in my top five of all time yeah. of sequels. I think it's absolutely perfect, but I couldn't even imagine seeing it that age. I'd be so scared of T-1000. I'd have been probably shitting myself in the cinema. I still don't like cops. I think that's where it started. <laughs> and then, yeah, after that, I saw Pulp Fiction also in the theater. I think I may have been 12. And wow. so, yeah, I don't know who was letting me go to these movies. That one was great. Um, Pulp Fiction, the big takeaway was how slow it was yeah completely I'm, different pace isn't it different pace this was the 90s everything was fast and mtv and then this movie was just happy to sit with its characters and watch them talk for 10 minutes and that was a new experience and uh it i just felt so cool after having seen it and so i felt like i grew up five years in the process of just sitting and watching the movie it made you so much more curious about human beings it was so humane uh in its own way those I were the same reds for our dogs actually at a very young age, and it was like an illegal VCD that was being handed around. Everyone's like, Check this out, there's an ear yeah. scene cutting off, and you're like, You've got to watch it, it's so cool, <laughs> it's banned everywhere. And I remember watching it, I can't remember, I was definitely not, you know, legally the right age, and it yeah. like opened up my whole eyes to cinema. I was like, Oh my god, like this is what it's all about, yeah, man, yeah, it was like that pretty much. So did you then get into the world of them thinking you wanted to create your own work and kind of go down the film school route or at school and college? Did you think this is the education I want to go down or was it a bit later on? I mean, I didn't understand what film school was. I'm from, I'm from South Carolina, which is like a, you know, I'm from like a small town in South Carolina. It's probably the British equivalent of being from like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Wales or something like it just didn't seem like a job you could have. Um, and uh, and I knew that I was interested in movies, but I didn't know what that meant or how to pursue it. So it wasn't until later on that I actually like got serious about going to school and making a job of it. But I always had the interest in telling stories. I was always writing stories as a kid and uh, and thought I wanted to be a writer for a while. So it was a gradual, it's a gradual process. And were your parents supportive? I mean, to let you go and see Terminator 2 and Pulp Fiction at a young age, were they like, do you know what, son, if you want to go and write films or be a director, we'll support you? Or are they a little bit like, son, you need to get a real job because that's going to be more of a dream, especially where we're based, etc. They were always encouraging and always really supportive. And I, I, a lot of it's because they were kind of naive and didn't understand how hard that was going to be, you know? Uh <laughs> <laughs> They've discovered later on how hard it was going to be, but no, they, I, I I was fortunate in the sense that I I always had parents who were um, very very supportive about whatever I was enthusiastic about, um, and uh, that was one of the biggest gifts I ever got because I had friends whose parents were not like that at all, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So when you started writing these ideas and looking for your notepads and getting into film, one of the first shorts you did was Patrol, wasn't it, in 2010? Yeah, that's correct. So when you think that's like nearly 20, uh, 13 years ago, which is, you know, I always look at like 2010, only like a couple of years back and I have to stop and go, oh my God, it's like 13 years ago. That's a hell of a jump, isn't it, in time for then to come out with Emily the Criminal. Um, was it the fact that you wanted to get the basics right and learn via doing short film how the fundamentals work of filmmaking before you went out there and tried to get these big 
a budgets and a, a bigger cast and a bigger production in its own way i mean that short film that you're talking about patrol 2010 i played at sundance 2010 that was my thesis movie in film school so i made that as part of a curriculum i was still getting an education i think i was 25 yeah. something and uh and you know i yeah i i was i was learning and i was figuring things out and i was kind of finding myself in that process i didn't feel like i was ready to make a feature film at that time i wouldn't even know where to start you know i was just trying to figure out how to make something that was like 15 or 20 minutes long um but then once i made that and that was you know i had made like two dozen short films leading up to that um once i made that i felt pretty secure i felt like all right i know how to do this I, I feel like I can make a feature now. And it just took forever for me to get my my shot to do it. That's the reality. And this wasn't because I was getting ready or like honing my skills. Like, no, no, no. I could have directed a, a feature 13 years ago. I was ready then completely. I just, it was just horrible timing. I mean, this was like right when the housing market crashed. Um, the economy was nowhere. All that venture capital that had been financing independent films in the 90s and early 2000s completely evaporated. All those companies that made those movies just went under immediately. I remember being at Sundance and just like there was nothing. There was like no one to talk to. There were no producers. There was it was just gone. And so I just I don't know. It's like I emerged uh, into the into that world at kind of a really poor time. And and then suddenly I went back to L.A. and I had to pay a thousand a month in rent and 1200 a month in student loans and just like what do you do i just had to go out and get a job and support myself and try to somehow hang on by my fingernails and um, it took a long long time for me to climb back up the mountain and make my first movie i mean a lot of people would give up and over these hurdles like you said with the student debts and the cost of living and everything being thrown at you how did you keep finding the resilience to kind of keep bouncing back and seeing that light at the end of the tunnel because the tunnel was a long 10-year tunnel yeah i don't know man <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I, mean, I I think i'm just an idiot like i was just delusional enough to think it would happen the whole time i'm not sure if that's like a respectable quality to have i wish resilience is a really kind way to put it i think i lacked the creativity to see myself doing much of anything else and uh beyond that i always felt like i was about to break you know what i mean yeah like always in like, distance there was always this carrot dangling like right in front of me like there's a script I wrote that I almost got made and we were so close and then there was another thing that so close and that there were all these projects that always felt like they were just within spitting distance but then they'd kind of fall apart at the last minute and so that whole decade-long period was rife with things almost happening so that's that's what kept me going so talk to me about Emily the criminal obviously um it was probably a long time coming for you, the fact that, you know, it was your first big feature, but it's an incredible film. You know, it's one of my top five films of last year. I absolutely love Aubrey Plaza. I think she's one of the best underrated actresses out there in a weird way, because even though everyone knows of her, people associate her with Parks and Rec, and she's so much more than that. She's unbelievable. So how did it actually come to be greenlit? And you finally were like, fuck yes, it's happening. I love Aubrey too. She's one of my favorite people on the yeah. planet um i wrote that script i gave it to a friend for notes that friend knew her and was like let me send this to aubrey she might like it that was my friend's idea it was not my idea um to this day that guy changed my life and just having the idea uh and then she received that script from him and she read it 
very quickly and she reached out to me and said hey let's meet and um and then you know i met her at a coffee shop down the street from my house and we were kind of off to the races at that point um but then it still took a really <clears throat> long time from then to get it made that was in 2018 so it took a couple years to kind of even with her name attached find the money that it would take to make the movie and then of course COVID happened in the interim and that was its own challenge um but you know that moment that you talked about of yes it's actually happening I, I learned you never quite get that moment like because it still feels precarious even when it's happening like a month out of production I didn't know if it was going to happen a week out of production I didn't know if it was the night before our first day of filming, I thought the whole thing was going to fall apart because of some issues we were dealing with. And then our first day of production, I, di I didn't know if we would last more than a couple of days. I thought the money might fall through. And it wasn't until like we were wrapped that I felt like, oh, I think I may have just made a movie, you know? And then in the editing room, seeing the first cut of the movie was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And at that point, you're like, well, this is all for nothing. It's so, it's like, you know, you never quite get this moment of total achievement like you, like you might think. It all feels sort of precarious throughout the entire process. It's only now, like, you know, a year after Sundance where I feel like, oh, I think I, I think I did it, you know? <laughs> were, were there moments where you're pinching yourself thinking, is this really happening? Like Aubrey Plaza is on set. I'm now working with these people. My ideas are all coming to fruition and I'm actually seeing it happening or... Was it afterwards when it was finally, like you said, in the editing suite when you were like, fuck, like this is actually there now for me to edit. Like this is not just my ideas that hope might come true. That is afterwards. Yeah. While it's happening, you're too inundated with problems. You're too inundated with like, oh my God, we just lost that location. Or, oh my God, we got this car to shoot the driving scene and the grips just broke the windshield and we need another car and we only have 20 minutes to shoot this like that's where your head's at when you're filming it's like a complete like you're it's like warfare <laughs> so you're not really taking any any victory laps or even moments to recognize anything with that kind of schedule but after the fact yeah after the fact I, I feel like I began to settle in a little bit and appreciate um things a bit more you said I use the word resilience and bouncing back kindly, but if you were sat in the editing suite and you were like, this is the biggest mess I've ever got, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Some people would walk away or some people would throw in the white towel, but you did bounce back. That's more than resilience. That's bravery. That's not, it's not stupidity. It's surely something inside that's proud that will not give up. No, I hope so. You know, I think, uh, there is part of me that I think really enjoys the discomfort and the thrill and that's built into my DNA and I don't know what to make of that or why that's there. Um, my girlfriend loves to joke that whenever we take a walk, I will find either a hill, a hill or some staircases to go up. She's like, you can't just walk. You have to like climb some shit. Like we're just taking a walk right now. Why are you climbing up this hill? It's like, I ha I don't know. I, I like the the sensation of taking a risk and putting yourself out there and trying something really, really ambitious and challenging. Like it's a movie's kind of the ultimate that, you know, it's, it's the craziest endeavor. And uh, I think I must enjoy it on some level or I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I've interviewed a lot of film directors. I've had people like Kevin Smith on Neil Marshall, Neil Blomkamp, a lot of people in the industry. 
<clears throat> I'm curious from you who's, and I said this with full respect, making a name for yourself in the industry right now, you're still, you know, starting out in the whole world of film, you know, you've got a massive career ahead of you. Do you still kind of take a back step and read all the reviews after you've released this film? Or do you try and kind of avoid that arsehole troll that might say it's the worst film ever made? You know, do you kind of cut yourself off? Because me as the podcaster, I try and avoid the reviews now because even though there might be a hundred people saying it's the best podcast in the world, the one person that says it's shit will affect me and knock me down and make me not want to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, for better or for worse, I read like tons of reviews. Blows my mind when filmmakers say they don't read reviews. Like number one, I think most of them are lying. And number They're two, liars. Everyone yeah, reads them. Sure, you don't read. Come on, man. Really? Like, what else are you doing on your phone? Give me a break. So yeah, I read hella reviews, man. And that's, I, I, a lot of it is just, it's really informative. I find like, if you're a chef, wouldn't you want to walk out on the floor and be like, how's the asparagus? You know, like you're going to want to know how, what you made is being received. So you can maybe alter some things or so you can gain at least some perspective on yourself. You know, when I was in film school, we had this class called narrative workshop that forever rewires your brain. I mean, especially doing it in your twenties you'd make a short film and then you'd show it in front of the entire student body. And then you'd have to get up there in front of everyone and they would critique the movie and you're not allowed to talk. And this would go on for an hour and just sitting there, not being able to, to answer anyone or to explain yourself or to defend your work and just hearing people tear it apart. We, we had to do that over and over and over and over again for two years. And when you're not receiving this criticism, you are giving this criticism to other people. And the process of doing that for years on end in film school you get addicted to it because it makes you stronger. It makes you better. And now I miss it. I'm like, I want that. So in a weird way, reading online reviews is like, is like narrative workshop. Um, and it, I don't know, maybe it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but to be honest, I've read some trolly, you know, angry online reviews that make pretty good points. I've agreed with what a lot of people have said and it, it hurts, but by the same token, I'm glad that I, I read it and I'm glad that I heard it. So you're, I don't you're know. humble enough, aren't you? And strong minded enough to take that. As you said, like if you're the chef, if someone says it needs more salt, you're not going to be like, fuck you. You're like, okay, like I can try some salt next time. You know, it's easy for me to say because we got overwhelmingly positive reviews for this movie. I think if, if I had really struggled to make this and it ended up being really, really compromised and the reviews were generally poor, it would probably be a different situation. Um, I'm also aware that like, I don't know if I'll ever make anything that gets reviewed like this again, like this kind of feels like you can't expect this every time. So I don't know, maybe in the future, I won't be, <laughs> I won't be reading reviews. So, so what's your headspace like now? Because obviously there was a 10 year battle trying to get this film, your first big production it has gone so well. Do you kind of feel like, like a band's first debut album, they've left their mark on the industry and now you're like, I need to try and top this. Like, what do I do now? Because you're not going to have to wait 10 years again now, are you, for your next feature? I'm sure you're already in talks or even writing ideas as we speak or talking to people. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, yeah you know, what, what kind of do you do differently mentally to kind of be ready uh -huh. straight away? You tell me, man. I haven't figured it out. This is, <laughs> this is a part of your life. Like, you never think about this part, you know? No. You're trying to get a movie made, and then, but then what do you do when you do it? And then suddenly you're making a living as a director, and you got to make another one. Like, it's just something you don't ever consider because you're you just don't get that far generally <laughs> but uh now i'm there and 
it's freaking me out a little bit because you got nowhere to go but down when you just got like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, you know? So I'm like trying to figure it out. I, I tell you right now, I'm really, really excited about making something different. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like maybe that's the move. Don't try to make a better version of Emily the Criminal. Don't try to do a similar thing, but better. Try exercising something a bit different that can't possibly be compared and that will be a different experience that's that's kind of where i'm leaning right now i think that's wise because you don't capture lightning in a bottle twice and the fact that you did first time round and it's gone so well like you said the imdb ratings and rotten tomatoes you don't want to play it safe and just do the same thing again like copy and paste you've got more in you than that so just go completely different and just challenge yourself in a whole new area that you won't then rest on any kind of morals or where you've been previously you'll just feel like a new challenge i hope so i hope that works you know the the argument against it is like well the smartest thing you could do would be to kind of create a brand and a similar vibe every time so people know what to associate you with that's like that would be like the contemporary like internet friendly way of having a career now yeah um but like i don't know i don't know if Maybe it's too soon. Maybe maybe you need a bit of time and a bit of reflection and a bit of time to step back and kind of look at it all from an outsider's view because you're too involved internally at the moment. Maybe, yeah. But, you know, I I might very well be making a movie in about five months. So (laughs) I'll be quick here. (laughs) That's good, though. At least you're not going to be waiting 10 years. No, that's the other thing is that I think if you wait too long, you can kind of uh, psych yourself out. I see that happen to filmmakers a lot, you know, like five years goes by after their first movie and then they make something that's just like, not, I don't know, it's like they read too many of their reviews and got in their own head and got kind of scared. I don't want that to happen either. I just want to like, let's go back to work and not think about it, you know. This podcast, John's done um, 247 episodes and... I've had all different people from all walks of life and what I do to every single guest, it doesn't matter if they're an up and comer or the biggest name in Hollywood, they get the same question. Uh, Aubrey's had this as well. Now, what I do on the very end of the episode is I have a piece of music played after each and every interview. But what I do to make it quite unique and quite personal to you is you get to choose the piece of music on the spot. So it can be a piece of music from a film, a score, a band that you love, or just a song that means a lot to you. It's not easy because there's millions and millions of pieces of music out there. But when I ask the question, what's the song that you would love to play at the end of today's interview? Wow. I get to choose like the outro music. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Everybody gets a different choice. I've had stuff like Rolling Stones, the Beatles, like a Yoko Ono B-side that was just like humming for 12 minutes. I've had all different stuff, but, uh, what would be a song that you adore or a band that you love or just a piece of music that you associate with you that you would want to now be played after this is all wrapped up? Oh, man. Uh, I asked this to songwriters and bands that have been going 25 years, like Incubus oh, really? and, I mean, so and Deftones and all these people, and they're like, wow. fuck. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm on the spot. Whatever I say, I'm going to have a better idea in an hour after this is over. Um, and I'd be so curious to hear what other people say. Uh, uh i'm I'm gonna choose um there's a a musician i'm obsessed with now named lewis cole his new album just came out like uh maybe two months ago 
And uh, so I'm going to choose a song called Dead Inside Shuffle by Amazing. Lewis. Uh, what fun. I like about this is that I've never heard of him and I've never heard this album. So I discover someone new. It's great when someone says Elvis or the Beatles or, you know, right. Nirvana. But yeah. no, I'm, I'm going to go with something new that people are just now discovering instead of something old that yeah. you're reminded of. Let's go with something new and fresh. Also, some of the best like homemade music videos I've ever seen in my life. They're incredible. There's a lost art now to music videos. I miss the days of Smashing Pumpkins and all these bands that used to do incredible music videos. And now it's just usually just a band playing in a room. So I, I will check that out on YouTube as well. Check it out. Amazing, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's up by one minute, but I just wanted to say a massive thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the release in the UK for Emily the Criminal does. And I know that people are going to fall in love with it. And I can't wait to see what this film is that you're talking about in five months time. Mark, thank you so much, man. This was super fun. So there it is. There's my interview with me and John Patton Ford. What an amazing guy. Has an amazing future ahead of him. And someone that I'm very keen to get back on the podcast in the very near future. I hope everyone today has really enjoyed this chat. And after seeing this, please go and check out the film. Emily the Criminal is one of the best thrillers I've seen in a long time. Honestly, if you go and check it out, I love seeing people that have discovered a film or an album or anything from this podcast, a book or just a brand new artist. And if that has happened because of Mark and Me, I want to be the first to know. So jump on markandme.com. On there, there's links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or my email. And I promise to respond to absolutely everybody that contacts me. If you've checked this film out and you've loved it, then let me know. Also, if you've really enjoyed today's episode, what I do ask, and I saw a lot of people doing this for the Silverchair episode last week, was to share it. This costs you absolutely nothing and is literally the click of a couple of buttons. If you go on Twitter and you see the episode, just hit that retweet button. It means a hell of a lot. All those people on your following list will then see it and you might see someone that goes, oh, Emily the Criminal, I love that film, or Aubrey Plaza, I want to see that. They go and listen to the episode, all because you hit a couple of buttons. On Facebook, you can hit the share button and on Instagram, hit that like button because I've never worked out the algorithms on that app. But honestly, I think the more people that like it, the more people get to see it. And if you're really brave, put it as part of your stories. I see people doing it a lot and it goes a long way. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone as well that's recently joined my Patreon account. I'm releasing an episode called The Lost Tapes each and every month. It's an interview that won't get out there for the world to listen to and will only be given to people that support me on Patreon. It's only 3 99 a month if you want to listen to those episodes. And honestly, for that, I'll give you some stickers, some badges, exclusive prizes and so much more. So please, all the support goes a long way. And if you can donate, it goes all right back into the podcast, allows me to produce these episodes each and every week and do more and more for you guys at home. I'll be back, of course, in only a few days time with another brand new episode. I've got some incredible range of guests coming up and I'm so excited. I've even got to sit down and talk to some of my favourite bands and those episodes are coming up very soon. And there's going to be a couple of big announcements coming your way soon too. But you know me, I won't spoil it. I might put a few little teasers out there, but it all will be revealed very soon. So until then, look after yourself, take care, go and see the film Emily the Criminal, and I'll speak to you all very soon.
Tell you that they 